Hey, welcome back to Earth Like Heaven. My name is Doug Ressler, and joining me as always is Robbie Sherry, and we are here to help you close the gap between heaven and earth in your life by learning to live like Jesus. And Robbie, we've been going through the Beatitudes, which is where Jesus talks about what it means to, to live like him, to follow him, to have the life that he had. And one of the one of the things he says in the Beatitudes is he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Now, the first thing I think about when I hear that verse is I think, I think of Jesus as the son of God mm-hmm. being the ultimate peacemaker in the world. At his birth, the angels literally said that he came to bring peace on earth. And in the Hebrew, the word peace is is this word shalom, which conveys not just uh, the absence of conflict, but really a sense of wholeness, completeness, unity, all things working together, all things integrated. And so it's a it's a it's an incredible calling that that he is that he's called to. It's an incredible thing that he is calling us to in this passage. And really, he's again tying it as we've said all throughout this sort of series. He's tying it back to you want blessing, you want the blessings of God. This is how you get it. Mm. You are a peacemaker. Those who deliberately go out to make peace, they're the ones who are blessed. They're the ones who receive the blessing of God. And the particular blessing in this case is they, they're called sons and daughters of God. They are actually adopted into God's own family, which is an amazing thing. But what's the very mm-hmm. first thing that you think about when you think of this word or you hear this word peace or peacemaker? Well, you've, you've said the first thing that comes to mind, I think, is... Is Silent Night, the song that we sing right. at Christmas time, and you dim the lights and you light the candles, and there seems to be a focus on peace mm-hmm. at Christmas time. And then I think of the Appomattox Courthouse and the end of the Civil War right, and right. making peace and the famous picture with Lee standing there and getting saluted. I don't know. We, we just tend to think of peace in terms of war terms. Yeah, I've right. been to Israel and the Palestine area, and they, they say something there all the time. They say, pray for peace in the Middle East. Yep. Right. So those are the first things that come to mind is is probably a very westernized view of peace, which is simply no war. Yeah, I don't even know if that's westernized. That might even be a human view because I, I'm with you. I think, you know, like right now we're experiencing it. Everybody's asking, like, what's it going to take for there to be peace in Ukraine between right. Russia and Ukraine? And that's sort of an East meets West conflict, right? But that's the question. And I think Russians are asking that. I think Ukrainians are asking that. I think people in the East are asking that. People in the West are asking that. What What's it going to take? And so that's an, so we can start there at least, right? Yeah. So peace is, if nothing else, it is the absence of conflict. It is the cessation of hostilities. It is an end to those things. Jesus came to bring peace on earth. He He, the Bible talks about how he ends the war that exists between us and God. He tears down every dividing wall of hostility that exists between us and God, between us and, and ourselves, us and one another. So he, is, he has come to earth to put an end to the warfare mm-hmm. that exists in this world between humanity and God, between us and ourselves as we look in the mirror, and then us and each other. Like That's part of what he came yeah. to do. And that's why he is called the Son of God, is because that is his vocation. That's what he was called to do. And those who, again, would would follow him, those who would claim the name of Christian, they're going to take on that same vocation to be peacemakers in this this world. Now I think about like someone like a Martin Luther King Jr., Mm -hmm. who is one of the ultimate peacemakers. Right. Because he did not just seek to replace one form of oppression with another. No, his desire birthed out of the gospel was to bring peace between ethnicities in our country, mm-hmm. to actually make white men and women 
his brother and sisters. Like that, that was his stated goal. That was his right. stated objective, not just for the African-Americans to get rights, equal rights, which obviously was a part of it. But no, like we're actually, we're going to, there's going to be a day and a time and a place when our children are going to link arms. And mm-hmm. I have a dream and it's going to be amazing, you know. And it was a dream birthed out of the gospel. And it really was about the cessation of hostility between ethnicities. For sure. And there would be one example I think of. Do you think people, I mean, peace is such a thing. It's such a concept that seems like everybody wants. Yes. Everybody wants peace. But the, the rub lies in the fact that if I have to give something up right. for you to right. be okay with me, then it seems like this concept that we want in order to get there means an abandoning of either rights or things that we hold near and dear. And so while we talk about wanting peace, we're actually not really excited about what we think it takes to get there. And someone like a Martin Luther King or a Jesus doesn't come along and just pick a side and say that side's right. right. And so right. there you go. There, there seems to be always this third way. That's right. It's not a, like you said, Martin Luther King Jr. doesn't come along and say, well, just give us rights and everything will be okay. Right. It's, it's, a, higher, yeah. it's a higher calling than that. By the way, I appreciate your use of vocation as calling. Yes. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Vocare, yeah. that's yeah. what it literally means. I know. I, I know love that. You're an English guy. Yeah, I'm you, geeking you like, out. You like those geeky right. words. Um, well, I think, I think not only would I say that I would agree with you, everybody wants peace. Everybody isn't quite sure they're willing to give up, right, what it's right. going to take in order to have peace. But I think this passage even takes it to the next level beyond that to say, it's not, it doesn't say, blessed are those who want peace, for they'll become sons and daughters of God. Right. No, it says, actually, blessed are those who make peace. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it is this vocation, it is this calling, it is this, this charge that we are given, not just to desire peace, which, again, I think, generally speaking, you're right, everybody desires peace. It's, no, you are actually being called to make it, mm-hmm. to do what is necessary to bring peace to the world around you. And, of course, that's got to start, really, with, with your peace with God, mm-hmm. like, are you Jesus has come to make peace between you and God, and are you willing to take that step in his direction, right, by faith, come to faith in Christ? That's what makes peace between us and God. Like, are you, are you going to do that? Are you going to end your warfare with God? Are you going to make peace with God? Like, what? when you talk to, like, students, when you talk to young people and you talk about, we talk about them coming to faith, right? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think we cast it in these categories, no, right? We, no, no, no. We, we right. talk about how, you know, <laughs> Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And, and, and all of that's true, by the way. Sure. But on some level, like we, there is this other dynamic to it, which is to say, if you don't know, and if you have not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, you are by definition, whether you believe it or not, think it or not, know it or not, at war with God. Yeah, you're a war maker. Yeah, you're a war maker. Actually. With God. Right. And of all the things to make war with, God is probably who you not want, you know, that's, that's probably not <laughs> the person to do that with, right? <laughs> right. I mean, right. you know, but that's, but that's it, right? I mean, so we, we don't think about it in those categories, but that's really who we are outside of Christ. We mm-hmm. are at war with God. And so the very first step we've got to, if we're going to be peacemakers, and, and I think fundamentally, this is why they're called sons of God, right? Is because they have made peace with God. They've laid down their arms. They're no longer in rebellion against their creator. Yeah. And what does the creator do? Out of grace, he says, 
awesome. Mm-hmm. Now you're a part of my family. Yeah. I don't just sort of force march you to a camp somewhere. You know, I don't just ignore you now. I don't just like walk away from you. No, no, no. Actually, by doing this, you're actually, I'm going to adopt you into my family. Right. Well, the, the people who are, as we said, war makers, interestingly, they, they would say they're trying to pursue freedom right. in their own lives, but they're doing so at war with God. They're betraying the fundamental truths that God's made evident through mm-hmm. his word and through general revelation just in this world right. in which we live. And yet you said it so well that you first need to make peace with God so that you can be a peacemaker on earth. And the only reason why you're able to do that is because of the freedom you experience in being a son or daughter of God. But it's ironic then that the people who do not make peace with God, who are actually war makers, mm-hmm. are doing are living their lives in an effort to pursue freedom, but are not are not gaining it. And therefore they're never going to experience peace. Right. They're living in perpetual conflict on some level. It could be conflict internally within themselves. It could be conflict with other people. And at and at best they they might be able to, well, I'm I'm just not gonna I'm going to sort of cut this person out of my life so I don't have to deal with them. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you've made peace with them. Right. <laughs> that just simply means you're, you're, they're no longer in your life. You don't have to think about them. The, the sweep right. them under the rug. Theory. Correct. Which, which we all know, I think, on some level doesn't work. I mean, I've talked to people over the years who they thought they could do that. They thought they could do that to a friend. Sure. They thought they could do that to a family member, mm-hmm. maybe even like a parent or a child. And it doesn't matter. Years later, they're still thinking about that person. They're still thinking about what mm. could have been, what might have been. What if we had taken a different path? What if it was forgiveness rather than retaliation? What if it was reconciliation rather than continuing to be in conflict? What if I had chosen to stay in that relationship and wor- do the hard work that it takes to make the peace rather than just sort of like wash my hands and I'm out? Yeah, you know, kind of thing. Like, there's so many regrets that you live with when you cut someone you love out of your life because it's like cutting a piece of yourself out of your life because you've given a piece of your heart to them. So you can't just sort of get that back, right? You know. And so I, I watch people do this over and over again, especially like divorce, for instance. And divorce is heartbreaking, and every and there's all kinds of reasons for it, and 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 some biblical reasons for it even right but there's a reason why god hates divorce mm-hmm. it's not that he hates the people getting divorced it's that he hates what divorce does to us mm-hmm. it's yet another sign of the conflict that he has come to try and eradicate yeah and that's why he hates it so much he doesn't want to see the creatures that he has made in his own image at odds with one another and so it's it's just tremendously heartbreaking so again this call to make peace it starts with making peace with God, laying down our arms, letting Christ come into our lives, surrendering to his lordship. Then I think the next level is being at peace with yourself, not being at odds with yourself. Right. And if you could answer that million dollar question right. for people, right? It, right that's, that's the, the question I mean, of the day, right? Right. Students are at odds with themselves because they're having hormones. They're having, I mean, they're just coming into their own on some level. They don't mm-hmm. even know who they are yet. And that's why they suck. That's why they struggle so much with anxieties and all kinds of different things. And so as you minister to students, how do you help them make peace with themselves? Well, I give them a three-step guide. Of course. Yes. <laughs> that fits on a half sheet of paper. Guide they read it and it's never failed. To peace That's with correct. yourself. <laughs> you know, I think... You can I, buy that book, by well, the way, after the... No. 
<laughs> right. They, young people are, and when I say young people, it's, I don't know that that's limited by, by physiological age anymore. No, uh, well, but, you know, absolutely. But you work with students. Uh, you yes, work with, so, but I yeah. would say that that demographic has, has increased over yeah. the years because there are so many young people that are living at 25, 26, yes. I guess I would right. say. There's, there's a push from the world that says you need to find out who you are. Mm-hmm. And so rather than seeking that which is true, that which is stalwart outside of themselves and pursuing that because that means submitting to something yep. higher than them. That's right. They look within and they base this, I mean, the, the word of the day is identity, right? They, right. they base their identity on that which they desire. And I don't know about you, but 14, 15 year olds desires oh my gosh. tend to right. both change right. weekly Um, I mean, I just think of like musical preferences and just entertainment preferences. And even my son this week was pegging his pants. Do you remember that when you folded your pants over in the eighties and rolled them up? And I mean, I saw that and went, wait, that was cool in the eighties. Like, what are you doing? And I got there first, by the way. (laughs) He said, dad, you know, this is, this is cool again. I don't want him to just be all hanging down over my shoes. And I went, man, it's, it's come full circle. So we're style. Everything's changing. And if your identity is being placed in something that's constantly vacillating. Well, then that you don't have anything to hold on to. And yeah. so of course your your hope in seeking peace is also going to be all over the place. So with students, I think my goal to getting them to understand this is to try to think get them to think outside of themselves. Yeah. To go Look, we were pegging our pants in the 80s and it was cool and then it was really lame. Right. And we were listening to that kind of music. And yeah, yeah, we, we, we've done all that. And you start to sound like this really old guy. I you know, don't like, know. Yeah, right. with, with the record player. Right. Yeah. But they, Which is now vintage, by the way. I, it's come back. Yes. Right? It's totally yes. Come, everything totally. comes back. So they, I mean, it's just, it seems so abstract because the world say, says things like, find your truth. Yeah. You know, claim your truth kind of thing. And it's which, 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 let's just stop there because that's a really, it's, it's, you and I would, would say, and I mean, just because we're coming at this from obviously the perspective that we don't find our freedom, we don't find peace by looking inward. But I do think that from a, a secular worldly point of view, they are searching for peace. Agreed. And so that, that whole be true to yourself or find your own truth or speak your truth or claim your truth or be true to your, you know, whatever, be true to your truth or whatever it is. Be right? true to your school like, like the like, Beach Boys. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Showing your age again. That's right. Um, but yeah, like I get that on some level, right? In fact, in fact, I've, all, I've often said. You get the search. I have often said that so much of what, of the rhetoric we hear in the world, whether politically, socially, culturally, you name it right, left, otherwise, is an attempt to gain the kingdom of God without the king. Right. So, so I think that, that be true to yourself, like on some level, I get that. Like I get it because it's, an, it's a desire to be at peace, but without, without Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, fundamentally, we can't do it. And Jesus, and in fact, when we try to do it without Jesus, we, 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 we do it all the, we're searching in all the wrong places, right? So, so be true to yourself. Like, I'm going to try and find peace by going inward. And man, look at what has happened in the world today. So many people out there today are living in perpetual conflict with themselves. They've actually become vested in the conflict so that they can be a victim. 
Oh yeah. I mean, that's is... a, if you, if that's how you're grounding your identity is sort of in all the ways you have been wronged, think mm-hmm. about what you're doing there. You're actually vesting yourself in the conflict, right? Because you've been wronged. That, that means there's been a conflict. There's been a war. There's been a, mm-hmm. something has happened. You've been at odds with someone or some institution or something or what have you. And as a result of that, you've been hurt. Okay. And if you hold on to that hurt rather than, rather than be a peacemaker mm-hmm. and forgive and reconcile and do the things that Jesus calls you to, if you instead hold on to the hurt, then you are actually perpetuating conflict. You're mm-hmm. a war maker. You're a conflict maker, right. not a peacemaker. And yet so many people in our world, even so many Christians in our world today are holding on to hurt, right? Like that's a, that's a thing now. Like yeah. many generations, younger generations, millennials, especially Gen Z, they are talking about the hurt that they have experienced at the hands of the church. Now I want to be quick to say the church has hurt a lot of people. Sure. Like, sure. like it's not illegitimate, but the question is, okay, so you've been hurt. What are you going to do with that? Are you this? That's where the cha- That's where the rubber meets the road on say, this. I mean, yep. are you going to be a peacemaker and say, "Okay, I have been hurt. I've been hurt by the church. Mm-hmm. Doug Ressler's been hurt by the church. I'm a pastor, and I have been hurt by the church, like without a doubt." But the choice I made when, in the midst of my hurt, was to say, "Okay," but the call for me is not to hold on to it. The call for me is to be a peacemaker, and so I'm going to choose to forgive. And I'm going to choose to work for reconciliation. And in that way, uh, I'm going to do whatever I can to make peace with the people that hurt me. Hmm. Now, I was able to accomplish it in some with some people. And I was able to not accomplish it with, with others. But I can look in the mirror and say, I did my best to make peace. And as a result of that, I've been set free from the hurt. It no longer defines me. It no longer holds me back. It no longer, yeah. it no longer cripples me from building new relationships with, with people down the road. Like if you're, if you're holding on to hurt, that's what happens to you. You, yeah. actually, you actually become on some level disabled from making relationships down yeah. the road or you become, uh, you know, you're paralyzed. You're, you're paralyzed on some level. I mean, it, depending on the level of hurt that you're holding on to, I mean, yeah. it can really have a damaging effect on future relationships, current relationships, because you're not going to trust, you're not going to, because you're so scared of being hurt again. And so, you know, again, being a peacemaker, I think it's got to be, again, first with God, then with ourselves. What do I do with the hurt that I've experienced? If you live life in this world, you will experience hurt. You will be wounded, you will be beaten up. Yeah, people will attack you, sometimes physically, sometimes your reputation, sometimes emotionally you're going to experience pain in this world. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with it? And are you willing to be a peacemaker, take an active role in pushing beyond that? I think your, your point in taking an active role is, is well-received. We've got colleges and even high schools now where mm-hmm. I work where people are creating these so-called safe spaces. Yep. And these are places where you're supposed to go if right. you felt offended or right. oppressed in some way or somebody's you know, said something negatively, you know, directed towards you. And this idea of being a peacemaker, there's a, there's an active mm-hmm. implication there. Yes. It's not a peace stander buyer, a right. peace observer, a, a peace, peace receiver, enjoyer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's difficult. Right. And so in that, to, to your point about safe spaces, right? Like I mean, ideally, right. We're flooding the world with Christians who by 
the very nature of who they are as sons and daughters of God are making every space safe. Right. Just being around a right? Christian should be a that, safe place. Now, we all understand that it's not, and we all understand sin. I mean, like, we all get that. Like, I mean, so we don't want to diminish that, that that's happening, that Christians are often the perpetrators, sure, not just the victim. Right. I mean, like, we get that. I don't want to say that victims and perpetration aren't real in this world. They very much are. But sure. again, going back to like Martin Luther King Jr. and people like that who actively sought to make peace in our world, one of the things that they tried to do is to say, look, you have perpetrators in this world, you have oppressors in this world. He was very aware of that, obviously. And you have people who have been victims of oppression in this world. He was very aware of, all of that, obviously. But his goal was not just to sort of flip that paradigm on its head where the victims of oppression become the oppressors and the oppressors become the victims which is what happens in our world over and over and over again, his goal was to say, no, let's get everybody together. Let's make peace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now oppressors and those who are oppressed actually become brothers and sisters. They actually become part of the same family. That's what it means to truly make peace. You know, and so when we start talking about like, if you are at peace with God, you're at peace with yourself, now you can actually go into the world and be someone who brings peace with them wherever they go. So a student at your high school is being verbally abused by another student or God forbid, a teacher or administrator or bullied or something like that. And we have, like you said, created safe places where they can go and Mm -hmm. they can find that security. But again, what would it look like if other students around them who have made peace with God, they're Christians, They've made peace with themselves. They they have done that hard work internally, and they sort of come alongside the student being bullied and stand up for them and stand in the gap for them and be that strength. Now that kid that's being bullied, that kid that's being victimized, they don't need to go to a safe place because this has become the safe place mm-hmm. because other Christian because Christians have moved into that space and really done what they can to make the peace. Right? Yeah. I mean, it cultivates fellowship. Yeah. It cultivates trust. These are the things that we're called to be yeah. as Christians. We're not called to run away. We're not right. called to turn a blind eye. Right. I think, you know, my, my dad was always good about saying, when I'm speaking, I'm not learning. Right. It's when I'm listening that I am. Yeah. And I just think of those scenarios. So often we have people come to us and you talk about, you know, when, whether they're angry or, or feeling like they have a right to their bitterness or whatever right. it is. What they're really looking for is someone to agree with them. That's right. They're looking for somebody to say, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, oh my gosh, she said what? Right. Oh, how could she? They're looking for that rather than the person who is just listening, mm-hmm. smiling, and just waiting for the, well, what do you think? Right. And I mean, so often Jesus answers these questions with questions. Right. And my dad's very good about that. He's very good about like mm. when... You would go, you know, I can't believe this teacher did this to me or yeah. the coach said this. And yeah. my dad would listen and go, well, why do you think they said that? Yeah. yeah. Rather than jump on my side of being a victim or something like that and right. go, yeah, you've got every right to be upset. Yeah. So being a peacemaker requires patience, requires discernment, but I think requires this willingness to engage and not just... Yeah. retreat from situations. You know, that's what, what makes that it is tough. so well said. I, I have in my mind an image from that um, show, The Chosen, mm. right? Which yeah. the people are watching now and it's, right. you know, trying to depict the life of Jesus. And I think it does an amazing job of it, frankly. And my wife and I are just getting started. So we're like, I don't know, five or six episodes in. Right. And Jesus has just 
called Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him. Mm-hmm. So now Matthew, they're as a group, they're headed to Matthew's house. And Matthew's like, well, where are we going to get food or something like that? And Jesus is like, well, actually, you're going to be the host of the feast tonight. Yep. You know, so they end up at his house. They're having this feast. All these other people are there, kind of the dregs of society on some level, right? And <laughs> it's a nice way to put it. And this Pharisee walks by, sees what's going on, and like stops and starts like, like, what, what are you doing eating with these people? Like, I wouldn't even enter the home mm-hmm. of this guy. You're not only entering his home, like you're sitting down at the table with him, which in first century Jewish society is a big, big deal. It's a yeah. huge engagement, mm-hmm. huge con- point of connection. Like you have a meal with someone, that's a massive point of connection. You are family in that moment together on yeah. some level. And I, and again, I love how the chosen depicts it. Like Jesus like walks up to the Pharisee is like, look, like I, I came for the sick, not for the well. Yeah. I came for those who are in need not those who are not in need. And, and that fundamentally is it. I mean, that's fundamentally it as Christians. Like, we don't, where there's already peace, on some level, we're not needed. Right. We're supposed to go to the conflicted places. We're supposed to go to the broken places. We're supposed to go to the, those who are hurting, those who are isolated, those who are... I mean, whatever it is, like those who've been oppressed, those who have been imprisoned, those struggling with chronic illness, like whatever it may be, that's who we are supposed to, that's who we're called to engage with because we are called to make peace and to bring peace and to bring that shalom. And those who don't need it, those who already have it, don't need it. Right. And so that's why it's, you know, it's always been a little baffling to me ever since I became a pastor. You know, I've served several different churches over the years and those kinds of things. And everybody who, you know, is around me knows my passion to like get outside the four walls of the Mm -hmm. church and minister, get on mission with God to minister to our communities and minister around the world. And people are like, well, Doug, why are you so passionate about this? I'm like, because I'm looking at all of you and you guys have it, or at least you say you have it, right? You, You say you have it. So like, like I, I'm, I'm literally preaching to the choir, Right. Every Sunday, like on some level, right? I mean, we don't you, have a choir for the record. Well, we don't have a choir, right? But I mean, you, 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 we do have a choir. It's called the congregation. Oh, here we go. And That's you, right. you, as a worship leader, should know that, that they are supposed to be the loudest That's voices correct. in the room. Anyway, oh, I mean, I'm literally preaching to people who, by God's grace, have, have, have become sons and daughters of God. say, they have received sonship. They have received peace. Yeah. Well, my goodness. Now let's go out and make peace. Mm-hmm. If we're worried about what's going on in our community, let's go make peace. If yeah. we're worried about what's going on in our schools, let's go make peace. If we're worried about what's going on in you know, our country or our state, let's go and make peace. My wife, and I'll close with this, and maybe we can come back and, and, and keep talking about this in our next episode. My wife, last year, changed jobs unexpectedly. Well, it wasn't our plan. It was God's plan. And she ends up working for the state of Colorado. Which our state has, you know, there's a lot of things in our state that I love. And then there's a lot of things in our state that I don't love. And working in the political system of our, of our state right now is pretty challenging sure. for someone like her who is a Christian and a strong believer and those kinds of things. But as we processed like her taking the job that she take, which she loves and she loves the people that she works with. And, you know, not all of them are Christians. It doesn't really matter. I mean, she just loves being around them. One of the things that she and I talked about was the fact that she was being called to go into 
her position in the state government and be a peacemaker. Hmm. Like that, that's part of what she's called there to do. And you know what? She has had just an incredible time at different points at the appropriate spots in conversations with her team members as they're rolling out, whatever they're rolling out and the policies they're working on. She's had a wonderful time taking advantage of the opportunities that come along the way that God gives her to say, well, let me, let me give you just a perspective of someone from, from someone coming from a perspective of faith on this issue. Yeah. Let me just give you, you know, I'm a person of faith. Let me give you my perspective on this issue. And she's like, it's, it's amazing how it like opens eyes and it opens doors and it's created further conversations and uh-huh. these kinds of things and like all this stuff. And I mean, it's just amazing. She had someone reach back to her who she hasn't talked to in like a year or two who, you know, I mean, all the different identity stuff, you know, this, this particular person is wrestling with, they're wrestling with the intersection of their gender identity, their sexual identity, all kinds of different things. Not someone that you would necessarily put together with my wife and say, oh yeah, these two are like going to be friends. Mm-hmm. And, and you, society would tell us that this person would certainly never seek the counsel of someone like my wife, who's a strong Christian. Mm-hmm. And yet of all the people that this person could have reached out to when they went into sort of crisis, the one person they reached out to was my wife. Right. To say, I don't, I don't have anyone else I can talk to. I'm not at peace. Yeah. I'm wrestling with this issue. I'm in the midst of this conflict. Is there any way you can help me? And my wife was like, of course. But it was only because she was willing to step into some of these broken places yeah. and step into some of these challenging places and be herself, be who she is in Christ, not sacrifice any of that. Right. This is who I am. And, and make the peace that um, I was just so proud of her. It was just amazing. Again, a great testimony to me even just going, right, this is it. This is, this what, is, we're, it. This is what we're called to do. So let's come back and talk about that. Maybe we'll do a part two on this because I want to talk not just about the cessation of conflict and some of those things, but what is it, these deeper levels, uh, layers of meaning to this word peace, this word shalom of wholeness and completeness. And what does that look like? And what does it mean to bring that into our into our world. So thanks as always to Jake, our guy behind the glass, making us sound good. And and to our, our brother, Billy, who is putting these podcasts together and posting them online. Please keep listening as we dive deeper into what it means to follow Jesus as peacemakers in our world. We'd love your comments and we'd love your reviews on whatever platform you choose to listen to your podcast and love it if you'd share it with your friends as well. So subscribe to stay tuned as we release more episodes in the weeks ahead. We'll talk to you next time.